morning. If you all would turn with me to Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together today as a body. Um, We pray for Paul as he brings your word to us, that you would bless the words that come from his mouth, that they would come from you, and bless our ears and our hearts, that they would be open to hear those words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about 20 years ago, there was a person who started attending here at the church, and uh, this was the first church that they had ever been involved with, and it, it wasn't very long until they trusted Christ, and they were very excited about their faith, and they grew a lot in their relationship with him, and they got uh, very involved here, and this was a very likable person. And we became friends, and we served together for um, several years. And then one day, all of a sudden, it was like they fell off the face of the earth. They disappeared. And when I tried to contact them, I didn't hear anything back, and, and I wasn't really sure what to make of it. And then finally, I heard from somebody else why it was that they had left. Any guesses? Matt, you are exactly right. You are exactly right. They left because of me. And I never learned the details, so I don't know the whole story to this day, but I was told secondhand that I had really uh, disappointed them in, in some way. And it's been a long time since that happened, but I still think about this person every so often. And when I do, it still hurts for a lot of reasons. Um, First of all, because I miss them. This is a great person. Second of all, because I never got to hear how I had hurt them. And finally, and maybe most of all, because I would imagine that there's a very good chance that their disappointment with me was legit. Uh, Letting another person down is something that I am perfectly capable of doing. Uh, I don't want to be just the guy that comes up and teaches the Bible. I want to be a person who is an example of what is, we're told in the Bible. I want to try to be somebody who, who tries to follow Christ sincerely and faithfully, but I am very well aware of the fact that I fall short regularly. 
And when I come up to lead communion, like we do this morning, I'm not just coming up as a leader of communion, I'm coming as a participant in communion, someone who needs it just as much as anybody else, someone who needs a Savior just like everybody else does. And I don't say any of that to be defensive, and I'm not trying to say that to justify myself either. I'm just pointing out a reality. I can be kind of disappointing at times. And I have a hunch that that's a reality for you too, isn't it? You are also a sinner. You also have let a lot of people down in your life. And all of us at times feel overwhelmed with the responsibilities that we're facing in life. And we we sometimes feel like we're having trouble managing all the relationships that we have in the world. There's a a line that I love from Lord of the Rings where Bilbo tells Gandalf, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. And we all feel that way at times. We all wish that we had more resources to give to people. And at the same time, we are all sinners who are living in a sinful world. And while that does not in any way excuse our sin, it does tell us something very important. And that is that all of us are desperately in need of grace. And one of the main things that I hope that you and I have taken away from these series, this series that we've been doing the last few weeks, is something that's so simple. And that is this, that we are all really going to screw up at times. And I would love for our church to have a culture where when that happens, we are on one hand both realistic about that and and understanding of the fact that we ourselves and the people who are around us are still a work in progress. And yet at the same time where we are also committed to speaking honestly with one another for the sake of the other person's benefit and their growth and their health. And I look back and I think, man, if if that person had just sat down and talked with me and told me how it was that I had let them down, and if I could have owned that and apologized for that, it, it would have been a great opportunity for me to learn from my mistake. And I'd be a better person. And they'd be a person who hopefully wasn't walking around with that wound. And I think that one of the things that God loves to see, and I hope you've seen that in this series, is that conversations like that, whenever they would be needed among God's people, especially working through conflict in ways that are honest and centered around the gospel and vulnerable and compassionate towards one another, might be the way that our relationships would work. In fact, how a community like ours works through conflict I believe is the primary, one of the primary signs of its health. If you want to see a healthy church, look at the way that they work through conflict. If you want to see a healthy person, look at the way that they work through conflict. Now, I believe with all my heart that in most cases, when you have a conflict between two people, if you can just get those two people to sit down and talk to one another and listen to one another, usually that conflict can be resolved. 
in fact, it can, it's very hard to get people to, to, to do that together. But once they do, oftentimes that conflict can be resolved much easier than either side might think. In fact, in my experience over the years, eight times out of 10, the conflict is a result of a misunderstanding. Someone on either side didn't have an important piece of information. Or someone didn't realize how they had come across to the other person. Or someone made a mistake that they are able to own and to apologize for. However, there are times when a conflict cannot be resolved. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. What to do in those cases. Sometimes the incident that caused the conflict is just too far in the past and you can't go back and unwind it. Uh, other times one party is unwilling or unable at that time to, to talk about it. There are also rare occasions when you're dealing with a person who has no desire to resolve anything. Uh, some people seem to almost enjoy having conflict in their life and they feed off of the negative energy that it can provide. And you cannot resolve a conflict with someone who is that way. They, they need to have a villain in their life and you may be their chosen villain. And in those cases, even though you can still forgive that person from the heart and you should forgive that person from the heart, you should do it for their sake. You should do it for your sake. You should do it for God's sake. And we looked at all of those things a couple of weeks ago. Even though you can forgive them, unless something changes in them, that relationship will not be able to be reconciled. One person can forgive another person, but it takes two people to reconcile a relationship. And in situations where that does not happen, it can be incredibly hard to live with, as we're all aware of, because most of us have at least one unresolved relationship in life. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at our final passage in this series this morning, Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, because I, I really believe that it has a lot to say about these situations in particular. So let's read it again. Romans 12, 14 through 21. The Apostle Paul uh, writes to us these words, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, th there's about like six or eight points that you could probably pull out of that passage. I'm going to pull out three of them today. And say that any time that we find ourselves involved in an unresolved conflict, this passage gives us at least three obligations towards the other side. The first is this, that we are to bless those who persecute us. The second is that we should take 
full responsibility for our part in the conflict, but release responsibility for their part. And finally, that we should trust and obey the Lord in an unresolved conflict, even when it's painful, by seeking to love them anyway. Three points. I'm actually going to take them out of order. I'm going to start with number two. I'm not sure I'm really supposed to do that, but um, maybe we should take a vote if that's okay. Everybody all right with that? I hope so. We should take full responsibility for our part, but release responsibility over their part. That's what verse 18 is getting at. When Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. That is such a helpful concept and sentence. It tells us that there are going to be certain situations where it will not be possible to live peaceably with another person. The sentence starts, if possible. That means sometimes it's not going to be able to happen. However, when we get into a situation like this, it gives us two important principles. It it puts a weight on us and, and it relieves a weight, as we're going to see. The first principle is that if there's going to be an unresolved conflict in our life, It shouldn't be unresolved because of us. It shouldn't be unresolved because of us. You and I should do everything that we can do to resolve the conflict from our side. Whether we've been offended by another person or or if we sense that another person has been offended by us. Now, again, we are not talking about criminal situations here, okay? We're talking about we have not spoken to the other person about the issue. Or if we're holding on to a grudge against them. Or if we are not at some point in the process of seeking to forgive them and to restore relationship with them. If we are not seeking to take the appropriate steps towards reconciliation, a lot of which we've talked about over the last few weeks, then we have no right to complain about the other person. We need to first be faithful in meeting our responsibilities that God gives us towards that person. And God says, if possible, if you can do it, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all people. You and I should seek to do everything that is in our power to resolve a conflict. But but the second takeaway of the verse is sort of the opposite side of the same coin. And that takeaway is that once we've done that, we have met our responsibility. And that is all that we can do. God puts the responsibility on us to faithfully walk through a process of forgiveness and restoration. And we need to move towards that process. And and a lot of us really struggle to move into that process. We all do. It's very hard to do that because the steps that God asks us to do sometimes are very, very uncomfortable. But when we move through those steps, then he releases us from the pressure of securing a certain outcome with the other person that really is outside of our control. 
You see, the passage, the verse, is, is wonderfully balanced. It places a charge on us to take full responsibility for us. But it absolves us of the pressure of how the other side responds. So that when your options for resolving that conflict become exhausted, and the other person still does not desire to reconcile with you, then you do not have to beat yourself up. You have fulfilled your side of that obligation, and, and you should feel good at that, about that. And you, your heart should be at peace. One clear principle in the Bible is that every person is responsible for their own life and for their own heart and for how they choose to handle their own relationships. And, and if we, before the Lord, have done our best to follow those teachings that he's given us in terms of dealing with conflict, then what we do is, is we leave the door open for the other person. We never close that door. But we release that person to the Lord. We turn it over to him. I would not be surprised at all if there are some of us who are in this room who are living with unnecessary guilt over broken relationships that you have done everything you can do to heal. You've moved towards the person in every way that you can move towards them. And in those circumstances, what this passage ought to do for you is to remove any guilt that you might feel that that relationship is still broken. Yes, the relationship is still going to be painful. It's still going to hurt. You're still going to feel regrets but you shouldn't feel responsible. You shouldn't feel guilt. You've, you've, you've done your part, and, and you may need to let that go. So this verse tells us that we need to really own our part. But it says we, we don't have to own somebody else's part. That's, up, that's between them and God, and we can't control their response. So that's our first obligation in unresolved conflict. The second obligation is this that in an unresolved conflict with another person, we also are told to bless those who persecute us and not to curse them. Right? That's the first sentence in this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I think he has to say bless twice because oftentimes like, we want to go straight to the curse, don't we? Now, the idea of blessing another person is to invoke God's favor over them. When you bless someone, you're invoking his favor upon them. So, so when we, we bless another person, what that involves us doing is reminding ourselves what a gracious and kind and loving God we have. And then asking God to do a gracious and kind and loving work in their life, even though they are causing us pain. That's kind of what Jesus was getting at when he said that we ought to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us. Now, the thing that's so tough about this is that completely goes against our instincts. In fact, I was uh, sitting at a restaurant with somebody this week, and, and um, we were talking about this series, and, and he said something like, you know, in a conflict, I think a pretty good rule of thumb is that we should just do the opposite of whatever comes natural to us. And I laughed at that. I thought that was really funny. And I also thought that that was really true. Because in the context of this verse, 
our instincts are almost always going to lead towards cursing and not towards blessing. But what God says to us here is, no, I want to empower you to work out of a different set of instincts. I want to give you my instincts. I want to help you to learn to see that person through my eyes and with my heart. I want you to feel for that person the way I feel towards that person, with warmth and affection and love. And I think that one of the evidences that God is softening our heart towards another person that we feel hurt by is when we are able to feel compassion for them. If someone has hurt you and you feel compassion for the other person, that's probably a really good sign. In fact, if you have genuinely tried to resolve a conflict with another person, if you've done the best you can to own your side, consider your part, be honest about that, listen to them, try to understand their position, speak to them gently and truthfully, all of those things, but they are not interested in a solution, then it's possible that unless there are things that you are not aware of, and there may be things in that situation that you're not aware of yet, that the behavior that you are experiencing from them is a lot more about their pain and the sorrow that they are experiencing in their life than it is about you. Sometimes we personalize things towards us that we ought not to personalize. When an animal is in distress or when it's afraid or when an animal feels insecure, what that animal is going to tend to do is it's going to tend to bite. And people are exactly that way too. But when somebody bites us, in response, what this passage challenges us to do is to feel compassion towards them. To be able to, from the heart, bless them and not to curse them. To pray for them. So we ask the Lord to help us resolve the conflict but not only that, we ask him to touch their heart and to heal inside of them whatever it is that seems to be broken. We invite the Lord to do good in their lives and hearts. We invoke his favor over them. And we seek to not just look at who they are in the present or what they've done or to see the worst parts of who they are but we see the person that they could become in the future and the relationship that we could have in the future by the grace of God, and we become like prayerful cheerleaders that this future good would become a reality in their lives. We are to be compassionate and gracious, and that's the only way we can end up blessing somebody and not cursing them. Now, the thing that's going to happen is you're going to want to do that, and I'm going to want to do that, but we're not going to feel like we have that in us. And that is no problem for God. When we bring that before him and we confess that to him and we're honest about that and we desire for that not to be true and we invite him to fill up our hearts with the measure of love that he has for them, the measure of affection that he has for that other person, it might not happen right away. It might not be instantaneously. It's not going to feel like magic. 
But over time, I, I believe that God will grant us that. I believe he's very generous with those resources. So we should take full responsibility for ourselves, but release responsibility for the other person. We should seek to bless and not to persecute. We should seek to bless and not to curse those who persecute us. And finally, the hardest one. When people don't want to resolve a conflict with us, or when they can't, or when that's not going to happen, we should trust the Lord. We should obey the Lord. And we should seek to love them anyway. We should seek to love them anyway. And I think we see that in verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says, Beloved, which is interesting, because if we're going to do this, we need to know that we're beloved by God, right? We need his love if we're going to be able to extend it to others. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now there's a, a lot there. But part of how we can release our desire for revenge against another party, that temptation to curse and to work towards forgiving them, is by reminding ourselves that the Lord is going to make all things right in the end. And that includes whatever conflict you happen to be in. If that person is truly persecuting you, this passage is saying, then they are not going to get away with it. And we should trust the Lord that he is going to be the final judge over all of life and things will be resolved. When we feel hurt by another person, the thing that we want so badly is justice. And the thing that frustrates us so much is there seems to be no justice. Paul says justice is coming. So let the Lord take care of the justice because he's going to do a much better job with that than you and I. And if we are freed of whatever it is inside of us that wants justice so bad, if we can release that and say, well, that's coming, maybe not yet, maybe not in my lifetime, but it will get here, then what that does is it frees us to do something absolutely radical. And that is to move towards them in love, in spite of a conflict that is unresolved. That's one of the ways that we seek to overcome evil with good, right? We may feel that evil is coming our way, but we seek to overcome that by doing good and being good towards them. And what that means is that somehow we've got to love them anyway. And when we do this, he says, it's like we're heaping burning coals on their head. I don't really know what that means, to be honest with you. There's a couple of different ideas that, that, that people have, but I don't, maybe somebody can tell me a third one that I'll really like, and I'll think, yeah, I wish I would have said that. But I think it's probably the second one I'm going to say. This isn't in my notes. I'm just rambling now. But what I think this means is either that because of a person's continued negative response when you're trying to love them, 
they, they either are going to face further judgment from the Lord, right? In other words, you've tried to work something out, you're trying to love them, and they keep, they keep hurting you. They're like pouring coals on their own heads. They're, they're, they're going to receive more judgment from God, not less. Could mean that. Or something, I think it probably, I think this is probably what it means. It could mean that perhaps their conscience may be pricked by you seeking to love them in spite of the way that they are, that they are treating you. In other words, they'll feel like a sense of shame or a sense of guilt or like, gee, there's something wrong here with the way that I'm behaving towards them. So that in, in loving them when they don't deserve it, perhaps it will touch something in them that will be the spark that ends up leading to lasting change in their life. One of those things is probably what Paul is getting at. I think it's the second. In fact, I, I want to um, share with you a story that I read uh, recently that I believe is a true story about an Indian evangelist who lived maybe 100 years ago who really had a huge heart for people who were far away from God. And uh, he was like a traveling evangelist, and um, he um, heard about this village that nobody had shared the gospel with. And so he traveled a, a really good uh, bit of distance. He walked there by foot over a lot of really difficult terrain to reach this, this village. And in spite of how exhausted he was when he arrived, he gathered all the people into the center of the village, and he shared the story of the gospel with them. And their immediate response, like right away, was to totally reject him. It was perfectly clear they wanted nothing to do with this guy. So he left the village, and he was feeling totally exhausted from the journey and completely discouraged, and he went and he laid down underneath a tree, and he fell asleep. Well, a few hours later, when he woke up, he woke up to find the entire village had surrounded him, and they were all quietly staring at him. And the leader of the village came over and, and stood over him and, and, and looked down at him. And, and he thought, oh, great, these people are going to kill me, right? This is it. This is the end. But instead, here's what the leader said. The leader said, you know, we, we came out to see you, and we noticed that your feet are bloody and bruised. And he said, we've decided that you must be a holy man and that you must care about us because you came so far as to have feet like this for us. So we want to invite you back, and, and we want to hear your message again. I think the heart of this passage is don't be afraid to let your feet be bloodied for a person who has rejected you. Don't be afraid to love a person who has hurt you, even if it might be painful. Love them anyway. Pray for them anyway. Serve them anyway. And don't just pray that God would bring about good in their life. You could even pray something much more wild than that. You could pray that you yourself would somehow be a part of that good. Trust the Lord, obey the Lord, and seek to love them anyway. That is such the heart of this passage. But all of those three things, all of those responsibilities that I just said are so difficult for us to do. Every single one of them is the opposite of our instinct. 
Every single one of them, for us to do that, requires us to move into pain and requires great personal resources from us. So the question becomes, how do we do it? Now, I want to kind of end this by um, sharing with you an illustration I heard recently that I thought was really good, but I'm going to repurpose it. I'm going to switch it around. You know, I, I already did the things out of order, so I can change illustrations too this morning. There are many different kinds of sorrows and problems that all of us face in life that we have to deal with. They come at us head on every day. And some of those problems and sorrows that we face are like little wagons rolling towards us, right? We can knock them out of the way. We, we push it away. It's no big deal. Some of them feel like roller skates coming down the hill at us, and, and we just kick them out of the way. We keep on going. It's, it's, it's not an issue. But there are other problems that sometimes come at us with the weight of a freight train. Not a roller skate, not a wagon. It's a freight train. And a lot of times, unresolved conflict in our lives can feel like that. It can feel incredibly heavy. It can feel like something that if we try to push it away or stop it, we don't stand a chance. It's going to run us over, and by our own resources, that's it. But there's only one thing that can stop a freight train. And you know what that is? It's another freight train. If you want to stop a freight train that's coming at you in your life, the thing that you need is another freight train. You need something with more power than whatever the problem is. And I really believe that when it comes to unresolved conflict, God gives us a freight train. And you know what the freight train is? It's this. It's this. It's exactly what we're going to do this morning. The freight train is this and everything that it represents. Because when we come to the Lord's table, when we come to communion, even though in life we may be experiencing real pain and difficulty in our relationships with other people, what God does is he invites us into healthy relationship with him. The thing that we need to do, we need to deal with relationships where we are not at peace with the other person is relationships where we are. And what this represents for us is God making peace in our relationship. And so when we come to celebrate communion together, we are invited to this table as sinful people who let other people down, who are disappointing, who are disappointed by other people, who are hurt and broken, and insecure, and not sure that we have enough wisdom or strength to do the sorts of things that we need to do. And God says to us, you know what? I love you anyway. And I sent my son Jesus to make peace between us. He died on a cross. He was whipped, beaten, and bloodied so that we could have peace. So come find rest in relationship with me. And when we come to the table and we eat the bread, we are reminded that Jesus' body was broken for us. When we drink the juice, we are reminded that Jesus' blood was spilled for us. That God wants us. That God went through incredible lengths to love us anyway.
The second thing that we're meant to experience when we come to this table is a sense of community together. This is, I said this a few weeks ago, this is not an event that we do privately by ourselves. This is a communal event. And so when we come to the, the, the table, we're coming with a community of, of other relationships that are meant to be encouraging and helpful and healthy in our lives and are meant to strengthen us. Uh, this past week, obviously, there was the, the terrible shooting that occurred um, in Oxford. And um, our youth pastor, Will, and Anna, on Thursday, they decided, you know what, we're just going to send out an email to all the students, middle school and high school, and invite them to come tomorrow morning and just sit around in a circle and talk about what happened and pray for one another and just be an encouragement. And that's exactly what the church is meant to do. Do you realize that when you celebrate communion, you're participating in that with other people? That the, the church is meant to be healthy relationships, at least we're working towards those things that give us the strength and encouragement that we need so that we can move into those relationships which are unhealthy. This and everything that, we that, that it is represented by is our freight train. 